After that passage in Job um, that we read at the beginning, Job's friends come to him, or his friends come to him, and they um, come and try to offer many, many words of advice, and Job goes back and forth with those friends. And then finally, towards the end of the, pass, uh, towards the, end of the book, in chapter 38, we hear from God, and God and Job uh, have some dialogue together. In chapter 38, it goes like this. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this darkening counsel with words lacking knowledge? Prepare yourself like a man. I will interrogate you and you will respond to me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you know. Who set its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring tape on it? On what were its footings sunk? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang in unison and all the divine beings shouted? Who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment, the dense clouds its wrap, when I imposed my limit for it, put, a bar, put on a bar and doors and said, you may come this far, no farther. Here your proud waves stop. And in chapter 42, Job answered the Lord, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be success, opposed successfully. You said, who is this darkening counsel without knowledge? I have indeed spoken about things I didn't understand, wonders beyond my comprehension. You said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will inform me. My ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I relent and find comfort on dust and ashes. Then the Lord changed Job's fortune when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord doubled all Job's earlier possessions. Then the Lord blessed Job's latter days, more than his former ones. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. After this, Job lived 140 and saw four generations of his children. Then Job died, old and satisfied. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The book of Job is not one that can be approached lightly. As much as I knew what I wanted to say today because I've talked and thought a great deal about the topics that we encounter in Job, I step into it with trepidation. It always feels like I have to prayerfully read just a little bit more, to think a little bit more thoroughly in order to say the right things we are approaching in this heavy subject. For ultimately, what we are trying to figure out in Job is the mystery of God. How does God work? Why do bad things happen? What you want me to tell you today is the secret. What's the answer then? Why does my child's friend have cancer? Why do innocent people get shot? Why are families separated at borders? We want to read Job to learn all of the answers. The problem with reading Job, however, is that we often come to Job looking for certainty. And the certainty that we find 
is more than a little disconcerting. If any book can be twisted around or used out of context, Job is definitely high on that list. The first issue that we come to when reading Job is that God initiates the suffering in Job. When the adversary or the Satan comes to God, God keeps giving Satan the idea of going after Job. Have you thought about my servant Job? Many of us have gone through periods or in the middle of them where it just feels like it is too much. We may feel like God is somewhere saying to Satan, have you considered Kevin? Like God is offering us on a silver platter straight to the devil. Now let's take a little aside right now. We don't know where the land of Uz is where Job 1.1 says Job is from. We don't have a historical record of this individual, but what we have is this book. This book that clearly is meant for us to deal with the very questions that we have of God. And of course, we have those questions. For after the adversary comes to God and has taken Job's wealth and his children, he comes back to God. And God seemingly invites the adversary to inflict more pain upon Job. And then God admits the very problem that we see as we hear this story. He still holds on to his integrity, God says, even though you incited me to ruin him for no reason. For no reason. That's the problem with suffering. It feels like God is somehow bringing it upon us for no reason. And if we take scripture at face value here, that would seem to be part of God's character. A God who is capricious and erratic, who lashes out at people for no reason. In his wonderful small book, Why? Making Sense of God's Will, Pastor Adam Hamilton writes, When non-Christians hear Christians say things like, everything happens for a reason and it must have been the will of God, they are left with an impression of God that is hardly loving and just, but instead a picture of God who wills evil and suffering in the world. End quote. The problem when we read Job looking for certainty is just this. God appears as capable of committing evil. God seems no different than the Greek gods of mythology then. God's character is being held up to the scrutiny of light, and the light does not seem to be very good for it. Another problem with reading Job and looking for certainty is going straight to the end of the book like we have today. I call this the problem of cosmic karma. If we are faithful to the end, then we get rewarded, and it's happily ever after. For what happens to Job? His fortune is literally doubled. Those numbers at the end are double all of the, all of the sheep and oxen and everything he had at the beginning. All of his children are replaced. Ten more. And the story closes. Then Job died old and satisfied. Isn't that nice? See how God works, rewarding the faithful. But here's the problem. Job's children are still dead. That did not change. Job loved every single one of them, all ten of them. No new children replaced the old ones. There is still a hole in Job's heart. Well, ten holes, actually. 
The problem with cosmic karma is that it has no idea what to do with people suffering. Job's friends, whose conversations with Job take up almost the entirety of this book, believed in cosmic karma. They spent most of their time with Job wondering how he sinned or what he did. Was there something covered up that he hadn't thought of? Job's friends are like so many people. We want simplicity in how the world works. If you do good, you're blessed. If you do bad, you're cursed. The problem is that we hardly see life working out this simplistically. So we've got to read then in the center section of Job a little bit. This is the part we usually skip over as Christians in the story. We know about Job's faith in the face of the greatest tragedies in the first few chapters. And we know about God speaking to Job in these whirlwind speeches in the final few chapters. For in those we are reminded that we are mortal and that God is not. And we are put in our place a little bit. And those are not bad things to learn. But in the center of Job, Job is not as pious as he seems in the other parts. Listen to Job struggle with God as he accuses God in chapter 30. He says, I cry to you and you don't answer. I stand up, but you just look at me. You are cruel to me. Attack me with the strength of your hand. You lift me to the wind and make me ride. You melt me in its roar. I know you will return me to death, the house appointed for all the living. Job's struggle is our struggle with God. Why? Why me, we ask? Why my loved one? Why Ukraine? Why is it the poor community always getting onslaught with the storms? Why? 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 Job is in the Bible because people have always wrestled with this question of why. Job is not here to give us absolute certainty in our answers. But Job is here in the Bible to assure us that we are not the first people who have been asking these questions. These are the existential questions of being human. They cut to the core of our understanding about who we are and who God is. I've talked many times from this pulpit about Kate Bowler. Kate was my preceptor in American Christianity class at Duke and became a world-class scholar of American religious history. In 2015, at the age of 35, Kate was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Through immunotherapy and God's intervention, Kate still lives and shares a powerful witness about how God works in the lives of the suffering. Kate's first memoir, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, has become one of the most important books on my shelf. So have her devotionals and her podcast. In the prologue of Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, Kate writes, I plead with a God of maybe, who may or may not let me collect more years. It is a God I love and a God that breaks my heart. Anyone who has lived in the aftermath of something like this knows that it signifies the arrival of three questions so simple that they seem in turn too shallow and too deep. Why? God, are you here? What does this suffering mean? End quote. These questions 
are why Job is here. These are the questions that make people turn from God forever. These are the questions that we as onlookers to suffering feel we must have an answer to. And the problem is we don't get those answers in Job. This is the problem of demanding certainty when we approach the mysteries of God. We don't get certainty no matter how much we want it. So how do we deal with these problems of reading Job? First of all, we have to answer this question about God's character. Does God just dole out blessings and curses from on high? Does he run tests of his people to Satan just to see if they are worthy? I mean, this is the same problem that we encounter when we read the story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice Isaac. Really? God's in the business of doing that kind of testing? I think we run into the human limits of explaining and understanding God at this point. I remember learning while I was preparing for ministry that sometimes I don't know is the most faithful answer to give to someone. So when a parishioner is facing an awful diagnosis or is going through what feels like an impossible time and they ask the question, why? Sometimes the most faithful answer is, I don't know. The comfort that comes from me in the midst of this answer has to do with the presence of God. For God is not distant from us when we suffer. The good news that we know, especially in the person and the work of Jesus, is that God enters into our suffering. This is why people who have experienced grave suffering sometimes have a richer understanding of God. They either recognize God in the midst of their suffering or they abandon any hope of God whatsoever. The second question about cosmic karma, about good people receiving blessings and bad people being doled out pain, is just not true given our experiences. Kate Bowler reflects on this when she talks about the phrase, everything happens for a reason. She writes, Everything happens for a reason. The only thing worse than saying this is pretending that you know the reason. I've had hundreds of people tell me the reason for my cancer, because of my sin, because of my unfaithfulness, because God is fair, because God is unfair, because of my aversion to Brussels sprouts. I mean, no one is short of reasons. So if people tell you this, make sure you are there when they go through the cruelest moments of their lives and start offering your own. When someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason, end quote. Job's friends were experts at telling him that everything happens for a reason. And it's understandable that Job was frustrated to no end with them. First, the friends sat in silence with Job for seven days to grieve and mourn with him. If only they would have continued that practice. For people who are suffering and in pain don't need you to say the right thing. They just need you. They don't need an explanation. They don't They know you don't have one. They don't need their suffering to be minimized compared to someone else's. What they need is love. We want definite answers. We want reasons. We want certainty. Instead, we find the presence of God in the midst of suffering, especially the suffering of the faithful. Rather than wondering why someone as good as Job suffers, 
the story could point us to another question. Why not Job? Why shouldn't he suffer? Adam Hamilton writes in Why, the sweeping message of the Bible is not a promise that those who believe and do good will not suffer. Instead, the Bible is largely a book about people who refuse to let go of their faith in the face of suffering. There is no biblical character who is exempt from suffering. So where do we get the notion that we will be exempt? Part of the human experience after the fall is suffering. The kingdom is not here yet. We pray for God's kingdom to come. We long for God's kingdom to come. But until it does, suffering and pain are a part of this life. Not because you've done anything, but because, as Kate Bowler puts it, everything happens. In the midst of everything happening, we see the faith of Job. As Job's faith, as Job's faith example to us is blessing God's justice and cursing injustice. As faithful followers of God, we are indeed invited and called to bless God. We are also called upon to curse injustice when it presents itself before us. Faith is not a blind certainty that ignores reality. No, faith is a gift of God's presence right in the midst of uncertainty. It is a gift from God that addresses the very injustices of life. Dear ones, God can give us the gift of faith when we are uncertain. Here is what I mean. Uncertainty is a prerequisite for faith. You do not need to have all the answers about why bad things happen. You do not need to be able to explain the questions that have plagued humanity since the dawn of time. Rather, in humility, we can ask God to give us the ever-present faith while we are uncertain. Those are the people whose faith you and I want to emulate. They have a trust that is seasoned with experience. And they have a love of God and others in the midst of that suffering. Give me that type of faith, O oh God. Amen.